our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Well, it's been said that all of our life so far is a sum of habits. In fact, there was a study done by Duke University that went to find that out, and it's true. Uh, In 2006, they did a study, and they found out that 40% of the actions that all of us take every single day are simply out of habit. We don't even think about them. Uh, I know I have some habits. You may have some habits. Uh, I want to share a couple of mine, and maybe you do the same thing. Uh, When I'm driving and I'm looking for a house or a street, I will turn the radio down. Why do we do that? It's not, it doesn't help me see better, you know? I just turn the radio down. Uh, or, or, or another one is uh, when I'm typing something or texting something or writing something, I will spell the word out phonetically. Uh, like, I will see you on Wednesday, W-E-D, Wednesday, or February. Uh, my, my favorite word that is extremely difficult to spell is restaurant. Anyone know how to spell restaurant? Yes. Exactly, yeah, texting. No one raised their hand, uh, maybe like two people. Uh, <laughs> Here's, here's my phonetically way to pronounce it. Rest a your ant. That's how I spell it. You can have that. That one's for free. Uh, I also give one habit that I do that uh, I'll just out myself with this one. Some of you know I am a bit of a germaphobe. When I'm in a meeting and people sneeze in the meeting, I immediately hold my breath. Someone goes, hachoo, and I go. <laughs> and I just, because I don't want any of the germs, you know. And if you don't cover your mouth, I'm not blessing that sneeze. I'm not blessing it. No, the Lord does not bless it. I don't, no, okay. Uh, and the reason I do it is because I don't want any of the germs. Uh, I, I shared that with our team, and Pastor Kamara was like, do you breathe in before you hold your breath? Because then you just breathe in all of the germs. And so I freaked out, and I don't know my, what my life is anymore. Uh, uh, but, but all of us have these habits. Uh, we have ha- personal habits. We have habits that start to influence the culture at a workplace. Uh, you think about it, your workplace, you shake uh, hands when you see people or meet them for the first time. You respond to an email within 48 hours. Praise God, that's how it should be done. Uh, you know, you, you talk to people, whatever it may be. When you go to Chick-fil-A, you say thank you. They say, my pleasure. It's not the best place on earth, right? Uh, yes, that's how people respond. And, and habits actually influence our culture. Uh, because habits create behaviors uh, which actually influences our culture. And look at the culture that you may be in today. Look at the world today. Think about the habits that have formed the behaviors that have formed the culture. Oh, it, it allows us to step back and not be so surprised by the world that we live in because there have been habits and behaviors that have brought us to where we're at today. But Jesus would shout from the rooftops, you should be different. Church, you should be different. Marcus, I should be different. Everything should be different. We should be countercultural. Praise God, that should be freeing for all of us that you no longer have to fit in because you were never meant to. Be free to be different. Be free to be strange and out there and weird. As God said, you should be. Some of you are like, oh, praise God. Some of you are nudging your spouse. Like, oh, okay, that makes more sense now. Okay. <laughs> we should be countercultural. But you look at our culture today and you look at the culture of the kingdom of God, things are a bit different. Eugene Peterson, who's a great author and 
uh, a thought leader and believer. Uh, he actually helped write the, what we call the message paraphrase. He was so passionate about what God was speaking to him through, through the word of God. He said, I want people to be able to read this. I want people to be able to understand the word of God. And, and he would talk to more and more people in, in different communities. And they said, I just can't understand the Bible. It uses big words I don't know. And so he went out to help develop the Bible in a way that people could really easily understand it in common language. Uh, he went and studied culture, and he would say this about culture. Uh, the culture we live in today is image is everything and substance is nothing. How many of us know that's the reality that we're living? And, and if we're honest, I'm a bit sick of it. Here's why, because, because it teaches us to think of everyone else in the world as competition instead of a mission field. I need to be better than you, I need to have more than you. I need to push you down, I need to be lifted up higher than you because you're my competition rather than as we would be when we look at the kingdom of God where we should be serving other people, just like these shoes that are up on the platform. And, and keep your shoes with you, we're gonna be bringing them up at the end of service. This is countercultural. Give out of my access? <laughs> no. Some of us giving out of even our less than? These are the, shoes I, the only shoes I have. God says, I know, be countercultural. Let things begin to change because you can change the world from just who you are today. In fact, Jesus saw this culture before Eugene Peterson, before you and I did. He walked into the world and he said, wait a second. Everything should be different. You're thinking about it all the wrong ways. So he would say in Mark, after he gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, he comes out of the water, heaven opens up, God speaks, is my son in whom who I am well pleased. Everything is amazing. John the Baptist goes into prison. Jesus is upset and he says, okay, well, literally next verse. The time has come. He starts his ministry. He says, the time has now come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Everything is going to change. There's a new kingdom and there's a new king. And the world doesn't like the king. But it's okay because there's a new kingdom that needs to happen. And then he says this, repent and believe the good news. And when you hear the word repent, maybe like me, uh, you have some hair that stands on edge because you just get a little bristly when people say the word repent. Because maybe you think of the person that's near the beach with a bullhorn saying, repent or you're going to go to hell. <laughs> or, or like me, you, you think of, I remember going to something called Promise Keepers, which was an event with a bunch of men, and you get fill these stadiums with a bunch of men, and they just are singing worship music to God. There's no more beautiful sound than men worshiping God. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. So men, let's sing. And sing off key. It's okay. I love it. Uh, we were going to this thing called Promise Keepers, and outside were people with signs, you're going to go to hell, and they were speaking into this bullhorn, and I'm like, I'm going to a church service. I think we're the wrong demographic. I don't know if you're speaking to the right people. Like, we're going, everything's going to be, but I think of that when I hear the word repent, but the word repent actually comes from this word idea of, of metanoia. Meta means after, and noia means intellect. So like after you've changed your intellect, everything should begin to look different. Change the way you live. It should be changing your mind to the point to where your actions begin to change as well. Your behaviors begin to change. Your habits begin to change. Essentially, repentance is this. I'm walking this direction away from God, and he says, repent, and you turn back. God, I want to be with you. I'm going to walk where you walk, lead wherever you're leading. That's where I want to be. And he says, that's how I want you to live, and your faith should be active, and you should change the world around you. In fact, that's our vision here at New Break Church, developing Christ-centered leaders who change the world. You should be changing the world around you, in your workplace, at your home, in your neighborhood. Everything should look different. And it should look like you're carrying the kingdom of God because you are a kingdom citizen. I am a kingdom citizen. So if that means I'm a kingdom citizen, I should walk around sharing the love of Christ with everyone. But fully, what is the kingdom of God? Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What should it be? 
Well, we read in the book of Matthew, Jesus begins something called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he begins to share what the kingdom is, what it looks like, how we should act in the kingdom, the kingdom benefits and the kingdom realities. He says, here's what it should look like. But I want to give you a view of where he did it. Because you may be thinking, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus on top of a mountain, kind of like Moses and the Israelites. Um, He actually would have approached this place as the north side of the Sea of Galilee with that beautiful view. Um, And Jesus is not on the top of the mountain. He actually would have uh, walked either just up to halfway, maybe, uh, but more likely down near the bottom of the mountain of this hill. And this is actually a picture of a place called the Mount Beatitudes. Uh, There's a church there. There's a chapel there and great artifacts. It's fascinating. Um, I've only seen it online. But we're working on an Israel trip, church. We will share more news about it. I would love to take all of you there. Um, So as as we're in this idea, this is Jesus speaking. He's on this mount. Everyone else is there. People are with him. At this point, he's already called four disciples, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they were fishermen in this sea, just grabbing a fish, and Jesus said, follow me. So they're there. People start to gather all around, and as Jesus begins to speak, I, sp- I talk to people that have been to this place, they say it's, it's essentially like a natural amphitheater. You don't need a microphone, you just begin to talk, and your voice begins to carry. So you have a bunch of people surrounding Jesus, and him just sharing what the kingdom of God is actually like. That's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to uh, start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, if you open your Bible halfway, you get to the book of Psalms. I want all of us to know this. I I love paper Bibles. You can also get the Bible app on your phone if you go to the app store. Uh, Open up your Bible halfway, you'll get to Psalms. Uh, Keep going a little bit to the right, you'll get to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And then you'll turn one more book and you'll get to the book of Matthew, right before the book of Mark. That's where we're going to be. So Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, this crowd's all around him, he went up on a mountainside. This is where he is. We just saw the picture. And he sat down. Because this is how they would teach. Uh, The religious leaders, rabbis, uh, different teachers would teach this way, simply by sitting down and everyone else stood up. So we're going to try that today. If you would just stand. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, And I feel like they would do it because it's really hard to fall asleep when you're standing up. So so the preacher could just be like, I'm just going to sit down and be here for hours. And you're standing up. Unless you're in the military, you can sleep standing up. I know you can. So they're all there. He sat down. His disciples, remember there's only four, came to him. So who else is in the crowd? You and me. Unlikely people. Jesus is declaring what the kingdom message is, what it actually looks like. And you're there. And I'm there. People who are interested in Jesus, people who want to follow Jesus, people who are asking him questions. He says, stand up. I'm going to sit down. I want to share with you. And then he starts something called the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard of these before. Um, We're not going to go through all of them. Uh, We'll read them, but I don't have time to go through every single one of them. But the Beatitudes are called Beatitudes because the Latin word is beati, which actually means blessings. So if you hear Beatitudes, it's just the blessings. Jesus says, here is a new countercultural way to live. Blessed. Wait, wait, cursed? No, I want you to live blessed. So he says, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not what we think. The poor in spirit, those who not only economically uh, feeling like they have lacking, but we're talking spiritually. Spiritually, God, I have nothing to give. God blesses them. And he goes on, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. This is talking about humility. This is power under control, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been extremely hungry and your stomach starts to growl? 
maybe you're thinking about the place that you've been going today for lunch. You're thinking about the main entree that you're going to get, maybe the side that you're going to get, the appetizer, the beverage you're going to get with that. If you're going to get a to-go box or not, you always have to end with something sweet. So if you're starting to think about that and you're like, why are you talking about that right now? Right? You start to growl. You start to salivate a bit. Jesus says, I want you to feel like that about the kingdom of God. I want you to be so hungry for the things of God that, that nothing else matters. Uh, my wife the other day came home and, and I was like, hey, let's go on a walk. And she goes, I have to eat first. And I was like, we can go on a walk first. And she goes, no, I have to eat first. God says, I want you to be that hungry for me. Nothing else matters. I want you to go after me. They will be filled. Then he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a play on Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Right? This is this whole idea of being so pure in your heart for God that everything else begins to fade. Nothing else begins to matter. If I just want Jesus in, in everything that he has, has to offer me, I don't care what the world has to offer. He said, be pure in heart. You're going to see God spiritually and, and future-oriented fully. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He changes your name when you're a peacemaker. And notice it doesn't say, I don't, maybe your translation, uh, it says, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, not the complainers, for they will be called children of God. I find that interesting. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, okay, if you live this way, the kingdom of heaven is going to give you blessing. But also, if you live this way as a citizen of the kingdom, the world is going to give you curses. They're going to persecute you because of righteousness, righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is what earth gives you, persecution. You live the way of the kingdom, there will be some pressure around you. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why does it feel like sometimes we suffer when it comes to speaking about Christ and sharing Christ in our workplace and in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our schools? Why does it feel like we're suffering? Well, it's because you're bringing in a new kingdom and the world does not like that king. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase, message paraphrase, he says, you're bringing the truth and the truth is too close for comfort and now people are uncomfortable. People get a little uncomfortable when you start to speak about the things of God. That God is love. It's not just something he has, but it's his very nature. But like everybody though, yeah, that's him. And then he says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, if you want to live like a kingdom citizen, Live this way of blessing. Live this way of a blessed life. Live this way where everything is beginning to change. And if you live that way, there will be some pain that comes. Because he's giving us two premises, a major premise and a minor premise. Major premise is you and Jesus are one. Marcus and Jesus are one. The minor premise, the difficult one, the world hated Jesus. So why would there not be some pain in our lives? But Jesus said, I want you to be, a, to be blessed and be a blessing as you walk through this life. I started to think about what, what if we had some 21st century Beatitudes? Like what if we wrote Beatitudes for today of like how the way the world really works? These are the worldly Beatitudes, attitudes that we think we need to be. Not the kingdom ones, the worldly ones. Blessed are the rich and famous for they can build their own kingdom. Isn't that the truth? Blessed are the happy for they can avoid all the sadness. 
Blessed are the greedy and the selfish, for they aim to please only themselves. Blessed are the prideful, the arrogant, and the self-righteous, for only their opinion matters. Woo. And I threw this one in just because I dream of this day. Blessed are the healthy and the fit because they don't mind being seen in a bathing suit. I dream of that day. You know, that's, that's what the world would say. But, but Jesus is saying, you know what? If you want to live in the kingdom of heaven, you want to experience heaven on earth today, you need to experience God's blessing in ways that you don't even understand, in ways that seem unlikely, in ways we don't expect. You're existing in relationship with God. Therefore, he blesses us on his standards, not ours. We're blessed on his perspective. And there's many people, us included, in the world that believe there are people who are unblessable. And Jesus completely flips that upside down. There's a professor at Wheaton College. Her name is Dr. Emily McGowan. And she shares a story in one of her writings about when she was a teacher in high school a high school teacher for ninth grade, and she said one of the projects that she would ask all of her students to do was to write down a beatitude, a blessing for people the world believes are unblessable. This is from students. This is what they wrote. One of them said, blessed are the drug addicts and felons, people who try everything but still buckle under the pressure of their past lives and can never get back on their feet, for even they belong to the kingdom of God. This student said, blessed are the foster children of the world because they are exactly who God wants in his kingdom. Another student said, blessed are those without homes because the kingdom of God belongs to them too. And in her writing, she would share that there was one student that always stuck out because this student was actually abused by a family member and in the foster system and removed from the home. And the student would still go to school as they were in the system and trying to find different places to live. And this is their beatitude. Their blessing. Blessed are those who take out their anger on the weak, for even they can repent and receive the kingdom of God. That's blessing in ways that we don't expect. God wants to bless us, and he wants to change the way that we think. Even whatever you're walking through right now, God says, there's amazing news for you. There's wonderful news for you. And when it comes to the Beatitudes, the first word is called makarios. It's, it's wonderful news. Clap and applaud for them. They're living the way, the right way. As N.T. Wright, we put it, wonderful news for the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, those who hunger for God's justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the persecuted, all of them, the peacemakers, they are blessed. It's wonderful news because we get to experience this life. As I said, I don't have time to go through all of them. Um, I'll highlight just one of them, but we did an entire series on this called A Better Life. You can go to newbreak.church slash watch, and you can go through our entire series on each of the Beatitudes. Powerful, there's eight of them. It's an eight-week series. Um, really, really great series. We loved being a part of that. But I, I feel like Jesus went through these eight Beatitudes because uh, all of them are universal. If you ever felt like you've had nothing, you own nothing or you have nothing to give, Pouring spirit. Spiritually, I have nothing to offer you, pouring spirit. God, you have everything that I need, and I have nothing to give you. He says, blessed are those people. They're going to receive the kingdom of heaven. And then he gets on to the mourners. And this is where I just want to stop for a moment. Maybe you're in a season of mourning. Maybe you're in a season of pain. And again, I feel like he said this because it's universal for all of us. All of us have experienced some type of loss, some type of pain. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a job. And when you mourn, the thing you need most is comfort. It's like C.S. Lewis when he was, uh, he's a great author and writer. 
um, believer, Chronicles of Narnia, you may know some of his work. C.S. Lewis lost his wife named Joy. And he would write in one of his books, no one ever told me that grief would feel so much like fear. And if you've ever experienced deep, deep loss, there's so much fear involved because you don't know what is on the other side. Because what you knew is now gone. What you knew is no longer reality. I remember my deepest moment of mourning uh, happened, I was uh, previously married and uh, in my early 20s. And I, w- I was married and I remember it was a Saturday. Uh, my then wife walked out the door and left and said that she was in a relationship with someone else. Uh, I was here at the church, I was leading worship at the time. I got up on the platform and uh, led a few songs and one of the songs was I Surrender. How am I supposed to surrender this? And, and man, if I can just talk to you for a moment, I, I don't know if it's because I believe that anger is the only emotion appropriate for a man, that's how it was taught, or that real men don't cry. I didn't know how to fully surrender in that moment. I didn't know fully how to grieve in that moment. I didn't know even how to mourn. So I can't cry, I can just make it through this. You just keep going. Who cares if that's what you thought your life was gonna be? You just keep pushing through it. And then I was just weeping during that song, I Surrender. A few, in, few people in the congregation knew what was going on that day. I went to the back and talked with Pastor Mike and told him what was going on, and he said, we do this together. He said, what do you want to do? Do you want to lead worship tomorrow for you know, Sunday services? And I was like, yeah, I, I, this is where I need to be. Um, and I was mourning. And him and I had a really deep, strong conversation. He says, am I going to find out anything that you're not telling me? And I said, you know as much as I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember telling him and telling some of the other men and the pastors around me and friends around me saying, could you pray for me? Because I feel like at this moment in my life, I feel like I can't even pray. So would you pray for me? And by surrounding myself with, with men that have either walked through similar situations or walked through painful situations and men that have been in amazing marriages, men that would have the hard conversations with me, it got to a point to when finally I was able to, to pray again. And I told these men, I said, you don't have to pray for me anymore. You can pray with me now. And I felt the most comfort I had probably ever felt in my life. Because there were people that were surrounding me during this extremely difficult time of mourning. And I felt comfort not only from God, but also from his people, from you. Maybe you're going through a difficult time of mourning and loss. God is saying, surround yourself with people who bring the kingdom of heaven to you. Because maybe you have no clue what it will look like. And then maybe at the end of your mourning, just like mine, there will be an amazing gift for you. Like my wife, Nikki, who is amazing. Give her a hand. She is amazing. Just know God doesn't stop at comforting. Scripture says that he restores what the locusts have stolen. He gives back. He restores fully. He doesn't heal partially. He transforms lives. That's what he does. And this is good news. This is what we get to carry. So how are we supposed to carry this type of kingdom? If we're supposed to live this blessed life, if we're supposed to be blessed and be blessing, blessing people to others all around us, we're bringing that kingdom of heaven, how do I carry it and what does it look like? How do I carry this culture of the kingdom? Like, like truly, why am I here? God, God would go on, Jesus would go on to tell us that you're here for a specific purpose. I have these shirts that I love wearing. Uh, on the back of the shirt, it says, tomorrow needs you. And then on the bottom, it's a number for a suicide prevention. 
I feel like the church needs the same type of shirt. Tomorrow needs you, believer. Tomorrow needs you, skeptic. Tomorrow needs you, even when you're struggling with some of the things that you're dealing with, and all of us do. No one in this room is perfect, not even the one on the microphone. Tomorrow needs you. And the kingdom of heaven needs you because you're bringing heaven to earth. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go out into the world and start to transform it because you have the kingdom benefits, the kingdom habits, you have the kingdom realities, and you also have a kingdom responsibility. So influence the world for good and start with just bringing God's flavor into the world. What? God's flavor into? Yes, this is how you need to carry the culture. Jesus would go on in the Sermon on the Mount and he would start to call you salt and light. Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase that I mentioned earlier, says, let me tell you who you are. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. You see, salt back then was a very prized possession. Uh, in fact, in my house growing up, salt was a very prized possession. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, this is called seasoned salt. Uh, we called it season all because we season all things with it. Everything. Uh, a fish, season all. That's, I mean, there was no, like, you didn't need any other spice. Just season what is it? It's salt and something else. I don't know. It's just good, right? Uh, eggs? I don't know if I've ever eaten eggs in my life without a little seasonal on it. You got to season everything. True story. Uh, I like waffles. Uh, waffles, you put a little syrup on it. Put a little bit of this on there, okay? It brings out the sweet. I know. I, don't knock it till you try it. But, but this was a prized possession. Jesus is saying, you are the prized possession. In fact, when he would call us salt, when he would call you salt, everyone in the crowd, the unlikely people, you and I and the disciples, they'd be thinking, wait, salt is really powerful here. In fact, many people in the Roman Empire were actually paid a salarium. That's where we get our word salary. Salarium was they were paid in salt. Can you imagine getting paid in salt today? Hey, great job, man. Get your, hey, you know what? You get two of them today. Don't... They were paid in salt because it was a prized possession. In fact, salt was used in offering and incense in the temple. So like salt is something that everyone needs to use. It's powerful. Salt is used back then and today in fertilizer. So Jesus says, I want you to be salt and go make things grow. I want you to transform the way things are. Dead things, bring them back to life. Salt is important in our diet. If we don't have salt in our bodies, if we don't have enough salt, we truly could die. God says, I want you to be so important to the world, so necessary that you transform everything. The best part about salt is it adds that seasonal flavor. Because <laughs> I want you to bring off the God flavors of the world. Thing when everything just, you ever had eggs without some seasonal? You're like. <laughs> it's, it's like jello, but thicker. I'm not sure how to explain it. <laughs> Jesus says, I want you to bring out that flavor. Salt is also a preservative. Jesus is talking to people who didn't have refrigerators. Salt is a preservative. Whenever they would have the meat, they'd pour a little salt on it to ensure that it would slow the decay, that it would slow the corruption. Jesus says, you're living in a world that is decaying. Slow the decay, slow the corruption, and bring out the God flavors. Let everything begin to change because you are salt. So you have a mission, kingdom habits, kingdom responsibilities. There's an amazing gift that all of us have. And then Jesus would go on, said, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? And you may love science in the room, and you're thinking, well, salt is actually a strong compound. It's a stable compound. You actually can't lose any of the salt. Perfect. Uh, good. Well, Jesus wasn't talking scientific. He was talking ethical. But also with that, there is a scientific piece to it. You see, where Jesus is talking, he's talking to people that would get their salt from the Dead Sea. A lot of 
A lot of rivers and different waters went into the Dead Sea where there was no outlet, only inlets. And the Dead Sea was filled with so much salt, it's extremely uh, filled with salt that you can't even drink it. In fact, if you go to the Dead Sea today, you can just lay on your back, it's floating, it's unreal to just even think about. But people would get uh, their salt from there. And there, there were these things called salt licks, like how the animals would get their salt. You'd get that, you'd get essentially a brick of salt. And then you'd take it into your house, and you'd use as much of the salt as you possibly could. However, in the Dead Sea, because there's no outlet, there's a lot of impurities. And so eventually, you'd get more impurities than you would salt, and you'd have to throw the salt away because it was no longer good anymore. And I think we're living in a world where the world is saying, we're just gonna get a little more impurities in you. And Jesus says, you're losing your saltiness. People aren't tasting godliness anymore because you've settled for a life that is less than what he's called us to. And the world will dilute you, the world will try to damage you, and the world will try to dim you. Because Jesus goes on, he says, I want you to bring God's light into the dark places of the world. He would tell us that we're light. I I don't know if you're like me, maybe you grew up a little afraid of the dark. Um, I had a nightlight everywhere. Even, Even today, when you hear a noise in your house, you turn the lights on, don't you? Right? Or maybe you grab whatever's standing next to your bed, and then you turn the lights on. (laughs) <laughs> there was like three people. <laughs> I got what you said, yeah. Uh, uh, you, you turn the lights on. You, you have to be able to see. It's like the young boy who was living with his grandma. And he said, Grandma, it's really dark in here. Can you start talking to me? And she says, do you want me to come in your room? He said, no, you don't have to come into my room. Just keep talking. She said, what use is that? He said, Grandma, when you begin to talk, my room lights up. Think about your workplace and your neighborhood. When you begin to talk about the things of God, the world lights up. In fact, when the beginning of the creation of the universe, God's first words are not, let there be happiness, let there be joy, let there be peace. He says, let there be light. The first time the universe hears the voice of God, let there be light. Let there be you. Let there be a way that dispels and expels the darkness. So Jesus would go on. Here's another way to put it. He says, you are here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. I feel like many of us are experiencing times right now when we feel like we're walking into darkness and God says, I want you to be light. I want you to transform everything that you're going through and be a light in that place. You're thinking, well, I'm just walking through so much darkness. Jesus is saying, you are not defined by the darkness you're walking through. You're defined by the light that is flowing through you. So bring that light into whatever it is, that pain, that job loss, that suffering, that, that issue, that relationship issue. Bring light into that situation. And then Jesus goes on, God is not a secret to be kept. Many of us take Jesus as a gift to keep instead of a gift to share. We're like, oh, here's my ticket to heaven. Okay, I'm good. No, no, this is, this is your responsibility to bring heaven to earth. You are to go change the world around you and don't keep it a secret. That's why in a couple weeks we're having Baptism Sunday, which we celebrate every single month. And if you haven't been baptized, you've given your life to Jesus and you say, I want to make a declaration that, that something within me has changed. The old is gone and the new has come. This is your opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who was placed in the tomb and then was risen. That's us, the death and resurrection. And if you look around this room, you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of people, even today, that are so glad that the old man, the old woman, was put to death. So I'm so thankful that I'm the person I am today and not who I was 20 years ago. I'm so thankful I am who I am today and not who I was yesterday. That's what baptism signifies and we celebrate with each other because you're you're a new creation. You are salt and you are light and everything changes. That's why Jesus says, we're going public with this. 
We want everyone to know, public as a city on a hill, if I make you light bearers, the word light is the Greek word phos, P-H-O-S. Uh, it means light. It's also where we get our word photograph. You're a picture of who Jesus is. And the world is looking for Jesus, and you may be the closest thing that people see. You. There was a young boy who was talking to an astrophysicist, and he was just fascinated with space and loved space. And he says, how come it's dark in space? And the astrophysicist said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, the sun is up there, and it's bright, and it's hot, but it's dark in space. And he says, well, well the sun needs something to receive the light. And so the young boy said, well, how come I can see the moon? And he said, well, the sun is sending light to the moon, and the moon is receiving the light. So at nighttime, when the moon goes through the sky, you can see it only because the sun is shining on it. And the astrophysicist would go on to say, the only time you don't see the moon is when there's eclipse, when something is blocking the sun from being reflected off of the moon. And as I began to think about the interaction and that conversation, I start to think, how many of us were meant to be like the moon? We have a painful situation that is blocking us from reflecting all that God is. We have a difficulty that we're walking through. We have... We have a relationship loss, a job loss, whatever it may be, that is eclipsing the light of the sun that we are to share with the rest of the world. God says, I want you to shine. So whatever that situation is that is blocking you from receiving the light from the sun, S-O-N, Jesus himself, begin to pray even today. Surround yourself with people. God, would you remove what is blocking me from seeing you? Because the truth is, whatever's blocking you is blocking others from seeing Jesus. And you were meant to be light. In fact, even today, I have this, this light up here that uh, it, it's on, but you can't see it. It's because it's covered in darkness. But, but I mean, if I remove it, you can tell that the light's on. But when pain happens, sometimes our light gets a little dim or even invisible. When people start to persecute us, our light gets a little dim. When, when those finances don't look like you thought they would by this age, it starts to dim. When you weren't able to get the house like you thought, when you don't have the picket fence, when, when your kids have maybe walked away from Jesus, when you can't even contact that member of the family anymore, when you're not sure where that relationship is or what that relationship is anymore, the light begins to dim. And you're saying, I'm just in so much darkness right now. The best part about darkness is light shines even brighter in the darkness. And God is saying, I want you to shine. And when it comes to darkness versus light, John 1.5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So whatever you may be experiencing right now in this moment, no matter how painful and how dark it may be, Jesus says, shine. You are the light that the world needs right now. I can see your beautiful faces. Now you can see mine. <laughs> Shine that light. Imagine if all of us just had this. This is not too much light to light up this entire room, but imagine if all of us had one of these. And in this room, it was bright like it is during service, and it's amazing, but we all walked out into the dark places and just began to shine our light. Do you know what our world would look like? Completely different. It would be transformative. It would begin to repent and turn because there is good news, because heaven is here. And just like our body, 
needs exercise to keep the muscles and keep the ligaments moving and everything good. Our faith needs to be exercised. And for some of us, we've let our light turn off. And then we wonder why our relationship with Jesus is not like it used to be. Jesus says, I, 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 I want you to shine. In fact, he says, I'm putting you on a light stand. Uh, in, in the New, New, New International Version, it says, I'll put you on a light stand so you can light up the entire house. It's because that's your first place of ministry. If you're not winning at home, you're not winning. No matter how great the business is, no matter how great the job is, no matter how great your car is or your shoes that you're going to donate today are, if you're not winning at home, you're not winning. So he says, I'm going to lift you on a light stand. And you've been waiting for the moment when God could lift you up out of the pit, whatever the pain you may be walking through, where God could do something with your life. You've been waiting for that next elevation, that next moment. God says, I've already lifted you up. Now I want you to shine. I put you there on that light stand, so I want you to shine. Everything changes. Even when it's difficult, are you willing to love and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? Even when people are messy, are you willing to love them and be light to them? Even when you don't fully understand their decisions or the way that they're living their life, will you love them and bless them in a way that God has blessed you? Will you be salt and light? Jesus goes on, keep an open house. Be generous with your lives, opening up to others that will prompt you and prompt them to open up with God. That's exactly what Roxanne said. Her and I didn't talk before she shared about her amazing life group that meets on Thursdays at 9... 39. Look, someone already got it. Great. You guys are going to be there. Uh, we didn't talk before she shared, but she said, I was able to open up because I heard the other women opening up. Some of us need to open up with God and watch other people around us begin to open up to him. I know you have heard because I've heard it too. I know you've heard people sharing with you. I just don't know what to do. I have nowhere else to turn. That's, that's when you're just like, oh, hello. <laughs> Start to be light. Watch what happens when salt preserves the truth and light reveals God's goodness. Let's be that in the world. If we have salt and light, we've been called it, we already have it with us, we can use what we have to transform the lives of others and meet the needs of others, just like we are today. With my favorite pair of New Balance. We get to give these people who are in desperate need. There was a great first century philosopher his name is Pliny the Elder, not the beverage, if you know the beverage. Uh, philosopher Pliny the Elder, he said, the two most essential and most useful elements are salt and sunshine. And I think that's still true today. Salt and sunshine. If we can be light to people who are living in darkness, who are walking around today without shoes. We watched in the video last week, uh, the, the person from... San Diego Rescue Mission said he loves seeing young kids that get shoes for the first time in their lives. Could you imagine being a mother or a father with your kids, not having a place to live, and just crying out, God, we don't even need a house. We can get that figured out, but God, I just want my kids to have shoes. Or, or maybe the, the parent who is wanting to get a job, it's really hard to have an interview without shoes. If I could just have shoes, maybe I could get that job. Maybe I could provide for the family. That's what we get to do in love. This is why John the Apostle would go on. He would write this in his, some of his closing words. He would say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
And he would say, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and does not have pity, that word pity is compassion, does not compassion with action, does not have compassion with action on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and truth. We say at Newbreak, you see something, you say something. John goes further, see something, say something, and do something. When you came in, you got a little tag that we're going to put on our shoes. Uh, Ask my wife just to write, we love you on it. Uh, Because someone's going to get these shoes that has no clue that a church in San Diego was even thinking about them. We get to be salt and light in this situation when they're thinking there's no way that there could be something good out of this. Sprinkle a little season all on the situation, say, hey, you know what? Here's some shoes. Maybe that's the next job. Here's a gift for that kid's birthday parent because you couldn't get them anything. And you wish you could. And just be light. You know, what's awesome to hear about San Diego Rescue Mission is what we do here with all of us going forward and dropping our shoes. This is the largest shoe donation that they receive the entire year from you. We call it Barefoot Sunday because many of the shoes up here that you see from first service came from people that walked in with their shoes on their feet and walked out barefoot. Maybe you need to give up those favorite pair of New Balances. I've I've got some miles on these. I have some more at the house that we're going to be giving. And maybe you just need to take a moment, write a note, let them know that they're loved. Maybe even just pray, God, would these be shoes that would go to a family that is in desperate need, that this completely transforms their life? And then you lay them out the altar. Uh, Nate and Ton are going to lead us in a worship song, and this is our time just to respond. Okay, God, we want to be salt and light. So let us begin to change the world even today. We have our student ministry already here as well. They have shoes in hand, they'll be dropping them on the altar. So we're going to pray. And then as we sing, let this be a time of sacrifice, compassion and sacrifice together, salt and light together, changing the world together. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that we are kingdom citizens, that we have a kingdom benefits and a kingdom responsibility. So God, we want to change the world, being salt, bringing out the God flavors and bringing light, being God's light into the darkness. So God, teach us how to do that throughout this week. And now we have a moment to do it. So Lord, as we write on these cards, as we pray, as we take the rubber band and put the shoes together, Lord, let this be an opportunity for not only lives to be changed that receive the shoes, let it be an opportunity for us to be changed as we give. Jesus, we love you and we need you. Let us be salt and light. In your name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.